So good morning, everybody. I wanted to jump on uh, right before the show officially starts and just say hello and talk about how uh, this episode has been sort of lost in the list for quite some time. Uh, and I completely apologize to our guest, but one of the side effects of recording so many episodes at once and then trying to schedule them out is that some of the earlier recorded episodes have just been lost in the queue. Um, and I refuse to let that happen as we move forward. And honestly, you know, this is such a fantastic episode, uh, and I don't want to give away who it is yet, but it's great. It's a really good episode, and I want uh, to get it out before the new year. And so, yeah, that's what's going on, man. I'm trying to squeeze this in, and this is basically uh, me coming on here and trying to come up with excuses for why I'm such a piece of shit producer of this show. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, well, I'll catch you guys up a little bit because, like I said, everything has been recorded, I would say, a month and a half ago. So um, everything that I talk about the show is older, you'll see. Uh, but I figured I'd just catch up with you guys before then. Uh, we're about a week out from the holiday season, from Christmas season. Um, and if um, you guys live out here in Los Angeles, you come to understand that that is when the entire city gets on an airplane and disappears. Uh, which is uh, really weird for us. Both Gina and I were looking at tickets because we didn't sort of plan this out. You know, we just moved out here to Los Angeles and we didn't uh, figure out what we were going to do for the holiday. And uh, of course, you know, the parents and the family uh, call you up and they're like, okay, so you're coming home. I'm like, I just left. <laughs> so you're coming home for Christmas, right? Sure. All right. Well, how bad are the plane tickets going to be? Like 300 bucks? No, they were like 700 at least $700 for Christmas week this late in the game. And so Gina and I were like, look, we're not going to do that. We went home last week, which was a few weeks earlier. And the difference in ticket prices, we I think our tickets were like $250 apiece. That's crazy, right? Uh, so we went home a couple weeks early, did a little hangout with the parents, uh, hung out with her family, and then um, maybe, did we do present exchanges? Yeah, we did. We did a couple present exchanges. Um, and now we're back, back here in Los Angeles, just in time for all of our friends and coworkers in the entire city to get on an airplane and leave us uh, through January. <laughs> we'll figure it out better for next year. Um, so we're getting ready. We just bought a tree. We got a cute little tree in our space that hasn't been decorated yet. Um, it was weird. There's a lot of, like, I guess there's like a Christmas tree issue this year. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but apparently there has been, I don't know if there was an issue with growing trees. <clears throat> I don't know. Everybody's blaming it on global warming, but there was a shortage for Christmas trees this year, so they're pretty expensive. Uh, we got a pretty good deal on ours, but every tree in our lot that we went to had like a barren center. It's very weird. I don't know what's going on with Christmas trees this year. I don't know if you guys <clears throat> celebrate Christmas, celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I love this time of year. I've always loved this time of year. I like the pageantry of it. Um, I like, uh, you know, spending time to make something feel a little bit more special. Uh, I've never really been much of a religious dude. Uh, don't usually get into my politics and my religion stuff. But Christmas for me is more about hanging out with cool people, uh, having an excuse to bring people around and chat and eat. Uh, <clears throat> and unfortunately, I went to the doctors last week, and it turns out that I put on a fuckload of weight. 
<laughs> in our travels uh, from Los Angeles or from Boston to Los Angeles. And so uh, I guess it's good that a lot of people aren't around for the next couple of weeks because I'm going to take it easy. I'm just going to try to reset a little bit and uh, knock a few of these pounds off. I'm starting to stretch out my waist on my pants. I think I split a seam the other day. Feeling like a like a sweet little chunky boy, like a little Santa Claus for Christmas right now. So it's probably good that uh, we're gonna be solo. Me and Gina are gonna be solo for Christmas this year. Um, kale Christmas, as they say out here in California. <laughs> uh, so I I just wanted to catch in with you guys and just say like, look, I am very very happy with the way that you guys interact with the show. I've been getting uh, great emails from you. I've been getting great notes from you guys. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I hope that you guys have loved uh, season two as much as I've loved recording it. Um, we've still got time. I mean, I think this season is essentially going to go through the end of the summer. So it's going to be a long season. But um, We'll, we'll have a lot of really cool stuff for you guys. And <clears throat> there's been a lot of really interesting stuff uh, going on out here uh, as far as the work's concerned. And so, fingers crossed, as I say on this show all the time, it's the fucking waiting game. So, we got a lot of things teed up right now. So, listen to me using golf terms. I don't know what fucking golf. Anyway, uh, so, enough blabbing. I just want to say hello. Mike from present time is now going to take you to Mike from the past, and he's going to let you know what you're about to listen to today. Get ready. It's no secret that I love telling stories visually. I'm a visual storyteller. I am in love with cinematography. I'm in love with the art of photography. I'm in love with telling stories with pictures. Um, and my favorite films are the films that tell me a story before the person even says a line. I love it. I love cinematography and I love having cinematographers on this show. And today, we are really fortunate to have an amazing cinematographer on the show. Uh, Valentina Canelia is joining us. Um, she's originally from Italy, uh, and she I think she now works out of New York, New York City, but uh, she shoots worldwide. She speaks three languages. That says more about this dumbass that can barely say anything in English. <laughs> um, and you've seen her work on, like... Uh, Netflix programs like Gypsy with Naomi Watts. Um, she's all over the place. You got to go check her out. I'll put her link below. But her work is stunning. It's really beautiful. Uh, she has this great uh, style and she loves lighting. 
um, and uh, she loves to operate her own stuff. And I, I just, I've already recorded this episode, and I really enjoyed listening to her attitude as a cinematographer and how flexible she is on set, and how she makes the most out of moments, and how she likes to operate her own things and like, likes to be flexible and believes in planning and loves to set up technical things. Um, but really, it all for her comes down to telling stories with images, which makes her one of my favorite people that I've had on the show, because of course I'm obsessed with this. Um, so I just want to take a moment here and thank everybody that has been listening to the program and thank you for following us at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at in love of the process POD on Instagram. Uh, I have been hard at work this week, uh, plowing through and recording a bunch of different episodes. And it's my goal to have these things queued up so that I can try to release them weekly, um, without interrupting my regular work schedule. So you'll see me just put my head down and do like a solid week of recording episodes. So sometimes they'll be released in order. Sometimes they'll be released out of order. I'm going to try to release them in such a way that is interesting for you as a listener at home. And we'll take you on a ride through different departments and different storytellers and make it cool. That's the trick. Hopefully that'll work out that way. Um, so today's episode, like I said, is about cinematography. And I know that there's a lot of you guys and girls out there that have been asking me to get more cinematographers on the show. Uh, so when you ask, I try to deliver. Um, so that's it. I'm not going to do a big intro for this one. Let's just get right into it. So you know the deal. Find some beautifully lit part of your house and just sit there and enjoy it. Just sit there and enjoy great lighting like I do. When I find really good lighting, it's just so tasty. It's so amazing to witness and to be a part of. So go find that beautifully lit section of your house. Throw on those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. So, hey, Valentina, thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, hi, Mike. Thank you for inviting me. I love to be a host of your show, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. I've been uh, following your work for a little while now, and I think it's, uh-huh. really, I think it's really gorgeous. And Thank you. Being a filmmaker that comes from a bit of a cinematography background and that loves visuals, I love to get nerdy with people that tell stories with pictures. Oh, okay. Um, that would be so a good thing for me so that I have someone to actually like compare, you know, <laughs> thoughts. Because, you know, it seems like the cinematographers are kind of nerds and we combine creativity with a, a technical aspect. But, of course, it's like uh, a lot of things that comes because, you know, we also have a vision as well. So we wanted to just make it happen. Well, we're going to get nerdy. I think it'll yes. be fun. <laughs> okay, that's good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just catch up the audience because a, a bunch of my listeners won't know your work. So let's start from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how did you, what made you decide 
Well, actually, no, let's start from your work in general. Like, how long have you been a cinematographer and what have you been working on these days? Uh, I've been actually a cinematographer for almost uh, 15 years. And uh, I, I was in NYU, I got graduated, and then, you know, basically I started to be on set. I was, before I was in London, I'm, I'm from Italy, and uh, I went to London school and then I transferred my credits to uh, New York. And uh, basically I started to be just a DP. I was a uh, first AC for a while and then uh, an operator and then, you know, I started to shoot because I think it was actually what I wanted to do I, since I was seven years old. Uh, oh. So, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, that's rad. So then you actually came up through the crew system. So you started, uh-huh. that's, that's interesting. And do you, do you prefer it that way? Did you, do you feel like you learned more doing that or was it the type of thing where you had to escape that to get into being a DP? I have to be honest, like in some way, I think it was very useful. In other way, I think, you know, uh, for my uh, point of view, it was a little bit of a waste of time because I really knew that I wanted to be a DP. So, but I think it was useful in a way that I could actually learn from other DP what they were doing and what they were not doing so that mm-hmm. I would probably do it uh, different as well. And so in that sense, yes, it was useful. In, uh, in another way, you know, because I wanted things happen faster, obviously, you know, I just wanted to be DP right away. And, uh, you know, in a way, you know, I was young and now I understand that I'm now I'm older and I understand that I was really useful to actually come up from a crew position. So, Right, because when we're younger, we want to get there quickly. Yeah. And then you... F- yeah, mm-hmm. and you for, you forget that a lot of this is like learned experience yes. and like time time put in exactly. And so, if you can steal someone else's experiences, why not? Right? Yeah. Why in, not? In reality, like you know, I always thought that you know, as a cinematographer or as any artist around there, they should not steal it, but they should actually uh, really create their own style and make it maybe everything that they see it, uh, before just as an inspiration. And then something that can actually, like, you know, be helpful, but not really steal it from them, like make it your own. Because I think right now, honestly, there are so many young cinematographers, young directors and uh, young producers. Everybody's like, you know, really coming out and they're really talented. But the difference is, you know, who will be with their own style and will, you know, who actually will make a difference about shooting a, a, a specific movie, a specific project that would actually look uh, not only like, you know, beautiful, but beyond that, you know, really with something more specific uh, uh, that it's right for the look or for the storytelling as well, which is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And what my comment on stealing was just being able to learn from other people's experiences and and take those experiences and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and develop on those experiences. But as far as like, style and personal style goes I always talk about this on our show it's about in my mind it's about building your toolbox as an artist Mm -hmm. yes and then you can go back into that toolbox when you have to do convey specific emotions and say okay I know that the audience thinks that if I use a long lens this is how they perceive that so do I want this to be part of that story Mm -hmm. or do I not want this yeah I agree also because, you know, you're creating a language and it's important to actually like really uh, first, you know, uh, get on a journey with the director, which, you know, mm-hmm. that's what we do as a cinematographer. And then really try to get in their own head and see what they think and what, you know, they want. But also 
make your own like you know impression about it you know when you read the script and and really like come up with some idea that the way you can see it but the way it can actually match uh, the director vision as well because you're there for the director and uh, you always like you know obviously translate their vision into visuals actually what i say all the time i say that a cinematographer is the one that translates the words of a script into visuals but you know of course it's uh, it's there for the director as well which is important so that's a fascinating thing so i i've t- i've talked to other cinematographers on the show and and I myself have a great relationship with the cinematographer now, and I, I kind of refer to it as my creative marriage at this point because we're both kind of married to each other. What uh, What is your process when, you, like, how do you seek out directors or what, what is your process to find the, the collaborators that you want to work with? In reality, uh, they find me, I have to be honest, because, you know, now uh, it's been like, you know, 15 years that I work and they approach me. Uh, because they see, you know, my my reel. They see actually, like, you know, my one of the film that I shot or projects, and they like and they think that I'm the right DP for shooting, you know, their movie or for shooting their project. So they, uh, you know, they start to approach me. But uh, how do I choose them in a way that how do I choose a project? That's actually a nice question because uh, what I do, I I get to know directors first. And then, you know, basically I read, you know, what they, you know, the script or maybe the project that they offer me. And what I do, I try to imagine in my head each scenes how could be, you know, translated uh, to images. But before I listen a lot to director, I really like to listen. I like to actually see uh, uh, their personality and also like, you know, see what they see. And my approach is, believe it or not, that, I develop a kind of like, you know, visual style inside my head. And what I do is, um, even though I don't know which project in my free time, I actually try to read a lot of books and I go to, you know, the location that, you know, the books is about and I try to imagine a scene already. Yeah, and uh, I've been doing this one for the last 10 years because I like reading a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. besides, like, you know, the technical, you know, uh, reading, which I love, but I really like to actually reading books with stories. And uh, I actually develop, you know, a lot of imagination through that. And uh, I think it's a special tool that I see already. I go to the location on my own and I see already how they would like it, if there would be a movie in that gender, in that, like, you know, kind of style. So that's how I keep up, you know, my kind of my creativity. Uh, So when, you know, when director approached me, I, you know, in a kind of way, I wanted to try to see what she or he, in a way, um, you know, it's drawn to and what they like it so that I can actually see what, you know, the story is about and how we can actually really be married. Because uh, as you said, I totally agree with you. It's like a married couple. You know, you can get along mm-hmm. and you love each other, but, you know, there is always, like, you know, something that maybe, you know, you can disagree. But by the end, you're making your own baby and it's actually a director baby, but it's also yours because you really go along with that. And uh, it's uh, also about the story. Because I truly believe that it's not about beautiful image, but it's about, you know, what, you know, beautiful, what the perception for you is beautiful. So it's all behind that and behind all the, just the aspect, you know, there's something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, cause it, I mean, it's always been my 
it's always been my opinion that that movies are visual first and that it really comes down to like you're shooting a wide shot and a close up and, and, and another piece of coverage and you're cutting them together. And what do those things mean? And then how are you translating mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. emotion so that way the audience, when they look at that image, they feel that emotion. They're not to- they're not told what that emotion exactly. is supposed to be. Yeah, my point of view is basically like, you know, that I become, you know, one of the characters. So maybe the two POV that the movie or the project is seen to. And, you know, the camera becomes them, you know. Basically, yeah. I'm kind of like, I want to be transparent so that, you know, I really become one of the characters or maybe all the characters or what the, what is actually the, the right character to tell the story from. And, you know, basically to just express the state of mind, you know, and becoming like, you know, involved with emotion and what they feel and how they progress, you know, because obviously, you know, from the beginning to the end, you know, every character change or they don't change, but the story uh, maybe, you know, just uh, make them change as well. So I think, you know, what I try to actually always to analyze, sometimes not even to analyze, to just, you know, tell the director what the story is about and from what POV it's seen. And mostly, like, you know, I want to try to become one of them, you know, one of the characters so that, you know, I really uh, extend their state of mind as well. Okay, so all that stuff is really fascinating, like thinking or, or trying to picture yourself as a character in that scene and what perspectives that you're looking in that scene. That's really interesting way to process that. Um, so let's go back to, let's talk a little bit more about the relationship between you and a director because our business is pretty ripe with egos yeah. and like egocentric folks. Mm-hmm. And then sort of navigating those egos is interesting. Um, is there, are you picky about the people that you work with? Do you go through sort of a selection process or like, are you, have you hit that point in your career where you can be selective or? That's a good question, you know, because, uh, throughout my career, actually, I was not really been selecting until now, uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, like, obviously like in the beginning, you cannot really, uh, allow yourself to be selected because, you know, you wanted to work. And you wanted to actually, like, you know, just read the material and basically, like, you know, if you like it, you just, uh, you know, are on board and try to actually get to know directors and producers and the people that you wanted to work with. Now, I have to say I'm much more uh, selective because, of course, you know, I became, you know, in a certain point in my life and my career where I can be. But, you know, as I say to the young cinematographer, in the beginning, you really, like, you know, have to think about it. Uh, which people you really want to work with and uh, why you want to be selective for what project. Because, you know, sometimes it's better to say no to a project mm-hmm. when you think mm-hmm. you're the right DP or maybe when you think it's you're not the right match. You know, maybe it's better to actually, like, just say no and pull back and maybe have someone else to do the job instead of actually you doing and then maybe it's not the right project or maybe it's not the right person which, you know, you want to uh, work with. So you have to be careful about that. Yeah. It's very nerve wracking too, because mm-hmm. I've done the same thing as a director where you, you have projects that come down to you. Like I'll have my management or my agent send me scripts and I'm like, I got to do something. I got to get working, you know? And, and so then I, I read through it and it just doesn't connect. And I'm like, Oh, it's really difficult to say no sometimes because you're like, is this the last time they're ever going to send me something? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know what? It's uh, it just happened to me. Example that you know I'm shooting a film now by the end of October, and you know the same date um, 
in the, in the same day, there was another offer, and I really liked the director from actually the other movie. But I liked the both, and I say, you know what, I can't leave this movie. I just wanted to actually like you know do a both, but I, I could not do it. So uh, there is also part of you that you become very loyal to someone when you actually give your words and when you like the project, you like the director. I think it's about building relationship as well. And also like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of an ethic uh, from who you are and uh, with who you work as well. I think it's important to do that. But it's also true that, you know, everybody wants to work and, you know, in between you get like a little bit nervous about it, you know, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> uh, I have to be honest, now I manage more, you know, my time and I know how to actually like, you know, uh, be more balanced. Uh, mm-hmm. That's coming because of course, when you're getting older, you know that, you know, if you don't get something, you're going to get next time something else and maybe it's better. So that's what how, how I think as well. And I'm a person that get along with everybody. Uh, because, you know, I think I always give a possibility to people to actually express, you know, their opinion. And I think it's important to actually listen to them. That's the most important thing as well. So I never really got in a way that, you know, the ego was too much from my side or maybe from someone else. If I knew that there was, I would probably like approach differently. And I'm, I'm more, much more democratic about it. And, you know, maybe I say about if we do this, what do you think about that? You know, I respect a lot the director work as well, because I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they have, you know, obviously their vision as well. And it's important that, you know, we listen to them and see what, you know, what they want so that we are there for them. You know, that's very important. Yeah, it, I, I think it just comes from being young. I think when you're younger, and I've said this on, on other episodes, I think when you're younger, you're insecure, and that insecurity can sort of come off as a bit of arrogance. And it's a, especially, especially in our business, as even as a director, where you're supposed to convince everybody that you know what you're talking about all the time and that you're the, the biggest professional. But I find, at least with my relationship with my cinematographer that I've had lately, I find that it's just, I, I like to build that as a safe haven, like a safe place to be where I can go into that space and go, I, I literally don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why not? Sometimes it's good to say, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's yeah. good to actually ask, for example, I ask, you know, to my gaffer, you know, like uh, how probably like, you know, could be done if it's not my way. You know, I ask, you know, like, you know, my key grip example, you know, I'm a big DP that uh, I'm big on building stuff. I like to build. A lot. So what okay. I do, I draw like you know a lot of like you know uh, plans. I I draw like a lot of uh, rig, and you know of course I ask to Mikey Grip and I say you know is it possible if we go to the melding place and maybe like you know do a welding uh, there? Is it possible to put a, like you know the camera and rotate in 360 degree on the body of someone and maybe having like you know maybe you know, like a support over there. How can we build though? Can we just have a, like maybe a fly cam and not having, you know, the real fly cam? You know, sometimes you also have to adapt mm-hmm. about the the budget as well. You know, I mean, you know, I'm still in a phase that, you know, I do a uh, low budget, a medium budget and high budget. But of course I know that when I'm dealing with a low budget, obviously, you know, I don't have the same tool. So that commercial right. can give it to me. So I have to be creative and I like to be creative because it's, it's actually like, you know, more stimulating for my brain uh, in a mm-hmm. way. So when I go on a bigger project, of course, you know, like, you know, they have all available, all the tools and everything. And I'm like, you know, wow, you know, 
now I don't need to think about it. And it's kind of like, you know, not challenged, <laughs> you know, as much, but in a way it becomes more challenged for something else. It becomes also like, you know, a kind of more open for creativity so that you can, you know, explore more. So I think it also depending on what level you are and how, you know, your personality is as well, you know. I try always to get along with everybody because I think it's important to really like, you know, uh, put the ego on the side and uh, Mm -hmm. really understand what is a good battle opposed to the bad battle as well. And then really like, you know, to see what is the benefit for the movie or for for the project, you know, if there is actually benefit for that, why not? And um, I do actually believe it that a lot of uh, people that they, you know, when I go on set, I... I have my, you know, strategy to actually, like, you know, lighting. I, I light it, you know, I started lighting from the back and then slowly kind of like, you know, coming, you know, from the front or maybe three quarter, depending on sometimes, oh, and sometimes I don't even need it, you know, any feel light. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of gaffer actually like admire that. And so it's good to have like an interaction with them and say, you know, why you like that? Because I think, you know, when I start shooting, I think... Uh, that I have an, a canvas in front of me. And then, you know, I started to paint and basically like, you know, the way I want to paint it, it's actually from the opposite, you know, direction. Not from not from the frontal, but coming from the back and then come and finish in the front as well, just because I want to give it kind of like the dimensionality to the image. And that's fascinating too. I love, that's what, I mean, I love lighting. Lighting is one of the things that, that, to me, to me, like to me, great lighting is like good food. Like I can actually walk into a room and just savor the lighting if there's really, really beautiful lighting in there. Um, and I like your statement on on the fact that it is a blank canvas, and and artists paint different ways. I've seen artists that have to do broad strokes and they have to like be able to see the dynamics of the room. And I've seen artists that can start from a very small corner and build themselves out. Everybody has their own way of, their own, yeah. of doing mm-hmm. it, you know? But this is the beauty of it. You know, if we were all the same, what, you know, there's no interest. You know, I like that there is, you know, a diverse way of approaching and I like that there is a diverse, like, you know, way of uh, framing as well and uh, also moving the camera, which, you know, in my way, I dance with the camera, you know, because I really wanted to actually take the actors uh, with me if there is, like, you know, uh, motivation for mm. it. You know, it's good to let them, like, you know, be free. And I like to dance with that because I'm, you know, I operate mostly on my movies, depending on the on the level, mm-hmm. of course, or the budget. But I like to operate it because, you know, I, in a way, I think it's important to actually uh, be there and also, like, you know, dance with the actors and really uh, be with them as well. You know? Well, yeah, because then you you feel like you're performing emotionally, and you can actually be adjusting those emotions as you see things happen in front of you. I totally understand. Mm-hmm. That. Totally understand. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, it's important. I, you know, and while you were talking about gaffers and stuff, I think a lot of young folks that want to get into cinematography are always, rightfully so, they're always obsessed with like visuals and shooting and and all this stuff, but they really forget the fact that being a cinematographer, being a DP is actually a department head as well. Mm -hmm. And so you're essentially like the mother of a crew or like the father of a crew. And, and how do you coax, (laughs) how do you coax a team of people that might be hung over to go and do what it is that you need to do that day? 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. It's a, being a cinematographer is this really interesting mix of being an artist and being a visualist and being a storyteller, but then also being a foreman and being, uh, an, an inspiration and an inspirer and, and a shoulder to, to lean on. Uh, um, what do you, do you enjoy both those aspects? Do you enjoy one over the other or? No, I think actually, like, I enjoy both of them. You know, there are moments where I really wanted to be creative, and uh, there are moments where I really wanted to be technical, you know? And I think, you know, what I like about cinematography is the combination of both. Mm. Because it really, like, you know, if you want to be creative, you have to know also the technical aspect as well. But it's important to also explore that. Because I think, you know, uh, if you know what you want, I think it's important to actually, like, you know, understand how you can actually uh, see it in a way. How can, you know, put it on the image. And uh, as a leader... I think uh, it's also important to understand that, you know, you have two departments under your belt, and this is camera and lighting, Mm -hmm. and I think they go together. I mean, they work together, you know. It's not only, like, you know, the camera, it's not only lighting. I think they they really, like, have to be combined together because, example, if you have, like, you know, a 50 mil and then you have, like, you know, like a faster lens, you know that you can use less lighting, and maybe just using one or two lights is, is enough as long as you have, like, the right position, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think, uh, sorry about that, <clears throat> I think okay. it's important to understand also, like, you know, the, the quality of light instead of quantity. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. what I see that, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, cinematographer maybe they think about quantity, but I think, you know, it's not about that. I think it's about quality of lighting, and I think it's about position as well. Because if you have one light that as the right quality that you're looking for, uh, for the, for the look. And then, you know, you just put it on the right position. I think you can actually achieve a lot. So that's important to understand as well. So when you say quality of light, what, describe that even more, like, what do you, what, uh, helps shape the quality of light? Is it, is it the type of light? Is it how you're diffusing the light? Like what, what do you, I think it's a combination of that because, you know, uh, example, you can have, you know, like an HMI and then you can put a light grid on it. I use a lot of light grid. I like it. And uh, you can also have like, you know, different gradation with that. I I have a tendency to still use, I'm an old fashioned dip in a way, Uh, even though I'm very fast in lighting, I actually like, you know, have a tendency to use gels. And uh, because I like to use my own cocktail of gels, so I mix it up. Example, you know, the moonlight for me, it's not blue, but it's gray. And then I have, like, you know, my technique now actually uh, mixing the gel as well. Uh, doing so, uh, basically, I don't lose time because I, I know already which gel I can use uh, for each, like, you know, project and what can achieve. Because I do test by myself. So what I do, you know, before mm-hmm. every movie... I try to actually test a lot, even though, you know, it's not on the production shoulder, but it's on my shoulder. So I go to rental house and then I go to actually lighting place and I try to actually like, you know, really test uh, the color of the gel or in case like, you know, also the diffusion of the gel as well, you know, so to see mm-hmm. what, you know, gradation I want to achieve. So when I'm on set, I know already, you know, when I'm on set, you know, I know already that I can put that kind of, you know, gel and that what is going to result for me, you know, the result of that. So that's, um, 
Yeah. More specific also could be, you know, if you're using maybe a parken opposed to actually like, you know, uh, an ash light, maybe like an open face. You know, I, I have a tendency to use, you know, an open face if I have to like, you know, really need, if I need like, you know, quantity opposed to quality. Maybe mm-hmm. in the nighttime I need mm-hmm. like, you know, some something that is more punching. So maybe I use a maxi brood or something like a mini brood if I don't have the budget for having like an HMI or something like that. So you really, I think this, this question is really like something that is specific for also the budget that you have. You know, I think uh, you have to adapt yes. what, you know, what is the budget and then you have to come up with a strategy for it, you know. And that's when you say, okay, now I can use maybe something that it's more sophisticated, but also like I can make it that way. Because I know that if I use a certain gel or certain infusion, I can actually make it the way I wanna, you know, and that's important to understand that. I, and it's really, uh, really nice to hear that you do all these tests and and that you do these tests on your own time because uh, it's so important. I do the same thing whenever I'm doing lighting stuff. Uh, I like to actually spend time with the units. I like to actually see like what is it like if I dim this thing down fifty percent. What is this like if I dim this down here? Because it changes color and and I think. In our business, the manufacturers that make a lot of this equipment in our business are kind of like controlling or always attempting to control how we use this stuff as artists. Um, And it's always like, hey, you need to have this specific app or you should be using these specific LED lights. And and it it isn't the case. It's like trying to tell a chef that you can't cook in this kitchen unless you have this specific knife and unless you use this specific stove, you know? Exactly. I mean, you, you totally read my mind because, you know, right now, I have to be honest with you, uh, with all these new cameras, new lenses and mm-hmm. formats and everything, I mean, I'm a kind of like, you know, really fed up with that because, uh, you know, like they try to tell you what you can use opposed to what mm-hmm. you want to use uh, for the right project. And I think, you know, it's not about fashion. This is not a trend. You know, like yeah, each project is different. Mm-hmm. Each director is different. And, you know, example, like, you know, by after this movie, I'm going to shoot a, another movie in black and white cool. with a four by three. You know, so it's a totally different, you know, way of approaching that. And obviously, like everybody say, no, don't do it. There is not, a, you know, they say to the director, there's no theatrical distribution for that. But, you know, this is right for the movie. This is right for the project. I think, you know, we have to understand that we have to tell the camera mm-hmm. what to do. It's not the opposite. So it's not the camera or the lighting telling us of what to do. It's actually us to tell, you know, the equipment to tell, you know, the camera and the lighting what to do and what I wanted to achieve with that. So that's important to understand that because, you know, if I use, let's say, the most sophisticated, you know, equipment just because now it's trendy and, uh, and it's not right for my project, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense, you know. We really need to actually understand what is the right tool for your project in that moment and why do I use that? You know, it's, uh, it's, it goes like, you know, behind all this petition of every, everybody and, you know, every like, you know, marketing out there as well. So, you know, maybe, maybe your project, you know, can be shot in 2K or can be shot at like actually in HD because it's right for mm-hmm. what you want to say. You know, it's right for, for what you wanted to actually, like, you know, uh, show to the audience. Maybe this is a story about, like, you know, someone is spy to a video cam, which I've done it. And obviously, like, you know, maybe using, like, you know, just like a, mm-hmm. a surveillance camera. You know, that's something that, you know, every DP 
as to understand as well, because, you know, really like, you know, you're using like the right equipment and the right tools for each project that you think it's actually right for you. So that's uh, important, you know? I completely agree. Completely agree. Mm -hmm. And I think as an artist, when I get forced into using stuff that I don't want to use, and I've, I've been in that position on commercials and stuff before where uh -huh. people tell you it's frustrating. And then you end up, yes. I feel like you're going against your inner voice. And, and then most of your day is dealing with that frustration as opposed to being inspired by the format or inspired by the lenses or inspired by the lighting and letting that exactly. take you on this really satisfying uh, adventure. You know, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, because you're telling, you know, in every kind of project that you do, even commercial, you basically in charge of the images. Mm -hmm. And so you really like, you know, in a way, the audience perception of that, it's get, you know, it gets like, you know, right away through the visuals, you know, and that's important because you have this kind of responsibility. So you really have to understand that, you know, whatever you do, the audience will be there watch you know what are you doing and also you know to actually like you know thinking what is the message that you're giving through that mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like yep. what exactly you want to say to that i mean if something is very beautiful it's lit like you know perfectly and it's really beautiful but does not have motivation what's the point for that exactly. you know because it can be only like something that is beautiful stays there and that's it you know, like there are movies where, you know, images, they actually not so beautiful, but that image makes sense for the story. And that's why, you know, maybe the audience perception sees it as a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really like personal. Now you, you see, you know, beautiful opposed to something else, you know, so that's something that I think everybody should understand. I completely agree. And I think that uh, as long as what you're doing visually makes sense narratively, then you, mm -hmm. you can, audience is very forgiving. Like an audience yes. will be completely enthralled on something that they're watching on VHS on a television exactly. set. So mm -hmm. you, you don't have to have this stuff shot in 8K every time. You don't have to mm -hmm. have it super high definition. And then I, I think it just comes down to the manufacturers again. And it comes down to people that are making things for money and they have warehouses full of this stuff. And it's very important for them to sort of put out that propaganda that you need to own this stuff in order to be professional and like this needs to be of this quality in order for it to be good content which is not true it's absolutely mm -hmm. not true and i think it's yeah i mean you know if you think about it you know we shot a film in super 8 we i still shoot things in super 8 you know or sometimes you know so we we were shooting in super 16 we we started to shoot in 16 you know 35 i mean all these things like you know applies to what you know you really wanted to actually get from the story you know you're using basically you're using the right format and the right you know equipment that tell the story in the way you want to tell it you know exactly i yeah i love that and i think it's really important it's really important that a, a lot of young filmmakers think that way i have to take a break here it's so funny that my apartment has been so quiet all morning uh -huh. Until you and I start talking, and now I have <laughs> yeah. groundskeepers outside with leaf blowers. It's, it's perfect. 
Okay, that's uh, you know this is filmmaking, you know. That's what happened to us too when we go on location, you know. Like up until to the scouting, it's great, and then when we're shooting, maybe there is a construction going on, you know. Yeah. Especially in New York, yeah. Oh, in New York, especially, especially. Yes, there. yeah. So <laughs> it's like you know, it's all surprise. That's why I say you know when we have a shot list, you know when we have like you know storyboard. Sometimes you know, uh, obviously we have to actually follow what we have, but, you know, on set, everything can happen. So I say to the director, you know, just be open because maybe an actor does not want to go on the right and they want to go on the left and maybe there is another approach when we go there and we can change the entire thing. Mm -hmm. So that's also what I'm open to as well because I understand that, that, you know, there are such a situation where we plan everything and then when we get there, it's not what, you know, basically we were expecting and even though we did scouting and even though we did all like you know planning maybe in that day maybe in that moment there's something that doesn't work right and maybe we have to change the game you know so that's what why i always have like you know my plan a b c and d as well about that time to get to our sponsor reads to help show some love and support to the people the men and women that show love and support to me and this show uh, you know how it is uh, I need sponsors in order to keep the show running uh, these sponsors help pay for our bullshit you would be so surprised at all the little bullshit things that we need to pay for to have a podcast whether it's hosting fees whether it's web website fees <clears throat> even if it's just beer funds so that I can buy f- booze for people to come by and sit around and talk and you can listen to us drink and not really be a part of it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so first up, let's say thanks to the men and women that have been with us since the very beginning, the team from Puget Systems. If you are an independent filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're a music producer, if you're a video gamer uh, and you're on your machine and you're getting that pinwheel of death, or it's hanging too long, or you're out of memory, you're out of RAM, and you come to that earth-shattering conclusion that the hardware that you bought is now extinct, and you need to get something new. Well, here's the good news. Uh, You don't have to just get a Mac. You don't have to just get an Apple anymore to be a professional in any of these industries. You can go and buy a PC again. And why? Well, because most of the software that we use is all Mac and PC based. And the cool thing, the thing that I've always loved about PCs is that world is your limit. You can literally put anything you want in a PC. You can go research all the different hardware specs. You can actually build it specifically for the programs that you use, which is really great. And they are completely upgradable. Depending upon how you put your case together, it's completely upgradable. That's so cool, right? I mean, 
sure, there's a lot of benefits to having a company that completely restricts all the hardware and completely restricts everything they put in the machine. So that way that their quote unquote brainless audience or brainless consumers won't fuck it up. That's essentially what the competitors do. They build machines with specific pieces of hardware in it that they know we're going to work every time based upon the software updates that they're putting out. They know that. That's their game. The problem with that game is that they corner that market and they spike their prices on hardware. There's no reason for you to be spending that kind of money on the hardware, let alone this thing called the unboxing experience. When the fuck did we become so obsessed with people opening gifts, right? When do we become so obsessed with the boxes that this shit comes in? Oh, wow, it's got like a little felt covering. It's going in the fucking trash. That literally is going to go become some island somewhere off of China in the ocean. Like that cute little box that you're quote unquote recycling. Give me a break. Why do we care so much about the packaging that shit comes in, right? I think it's ultimately because we're looking for a good story, right? Maybe that's it. We're looking for an escape any moment that we could possibly get. We're looking for just a little bit of like feel good juice, right? Well, what the fuck? I'm not going to spend extra money on all that unboxing shit. I want my cash to go into the machine because at the end of the day, when I'm editing, that thing better keep up with me. That's it, right? You want it to keep up with you. And when you're in your groove and you're in your mode and you're going creatively, if that thing lags for a half second, it pisses you off, especially when you're trying to get a rhythm in, right? We all know that shaving two frames out of the cut between two, two actors can change the entire theme of that scene, right? So the last thing you wanna do is have a little disruptive wheel. Hold on a second while we, hold on, wait a minute, we're just trying to keep up with you, fuck yourself. I want a system that does automatically. I want all my money to go into that system. And if that means I don't get a felt box, so be it. I want my shit to run faster. And that's why I made the jump. That's why I went and hunted for PCs, right? And in that process, I used to build PCs when I was a kid, but I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to go through the process of like figuring out the newest hardware and does the new hardware work with the new motherboard? And I know that there are those of you listening that don't know anything about building computers and you're going, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. I get it. It is a nightmare. So what I did is I did the hunt. I did the hard work for you guys. And I went through and I talked to a bunch of different PC companies. A lot of those guys at the time were just building PCs for video gaming. So all you video gaming nerds that are listening, you get it. You'd go buy yourself like a Fast and Furious PC with like underlit like neon lights and shit like that on it and an alien face on the front of it and you'd get nerdy about it. But for the rest of us that are looking to do art and work on these things, they just seemed, it seemed like I was, it seems like I was buying a Fast and Furious car to do fucking Uber rides. It just didn't make any sense to me, right? So I did the hunt. I found this company called Puget Systems. The thing that's really great about Puget Systems is they build custom-built PCs based upon the software you need, based upon your budget and how you're going to spend that money. And they build it, like I said, based upon the software. So you can go to their website and uh, choose, let's say you're editing with Premiere, or let's say you need an After Effects machine. Uh, contrary to popular belief by stuff spread by the competitors, uh, same software doesn't work for everything perfectly. So like if you're going to build an After Effects machine, build a specific After Effects machine. And believe it or not, what I've learned with these guys is that newer graphics cards don't really work that well with After Effects. And so what these dudes do is they actually go through and they benchmark test everything. 
So they go through and they test all these pieces of equipment, all of these pieces of hardware with the different programs, and then they'll post that on their website. So if you are someone building your own PC, go to PugetSystems.com and check out their benchmark tests. Right? That'll save you a hell of a lot of grief, which is super cool. Um, but if you're someone that just wants a computer to show up in a standard box, you open up a regular box, you, you take it out, you plug it in, turn it on, start editing. These guys are the perfect place for it. So go to PugetSystems.com. There's so many great things I could say about these guys. I've actually spent time with them. They're a smaller company up on Northern West Coast. Um, and I've been to their place. It's fantastic. Um, and when you deal with them, here's, the, here's what I love. Real person customer support, right? Like someone real. You don't get a fucking robot. You don't get put on a queue. There isn't sort of AI that's sort of managing your anger on the phone. And you have to scream, fuck, 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 seven times to get somebody on the phone. Doesn't that drive you crazy with everything you deal with right now? These guys don't have that. Check them out. Go to PewDieSystems.com. Okay, let's see. Also, I think it's the last read of the season for these guys. And he, okay, as I say this, I'm being completely candid with you guys. Sponsors will come on board to a show and then they'll try it out, right? So they'll come on, they'll give me a little bit of loot for a certain number of episodes. And sometimes I'll throw in some free episodes. Like I'm gonna throw in a free episode for these guys today because I love them so much. But you gotta click through, okay? And I know you're like, oh, I gotta do something. I'm just sitting here listening to the show. No, please, just do me a favor. Underneath this episode and whatever listening platform that you're using, you can click through and check out these guys because they track each one of those clicks. And that's all it takes is a click. And that'll register with them and they'll go, all right, Mike is actually sending people to us. It's a good idea to be on this show, right? Now, I choose these guys and I choose uh, all of these different sponsors because... I like them, I use them, and I know you'll like them, and you'll use them. And I, it's part of the deal. I need sponsors on a show. You don't hear me hitting up McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like, I'm hitting up shit that you guys really could use. I think might make your work better. So, below this episode, while you're listening to the show, you can go to thelovewiththeprocess.com and click on this episode page there. And just click through on the links just do it. While you're there, look around. I'm giving out some sweet deals for each one of these people. Check it out, right? Who knows? You're going to have Christmas money. You're going to have Hanukkah money soon. You're going to need to buy shit, right? There's a new year coming. New business plan. Whole new, 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 right? You're going to need to buy shit. You need to buy a new computer. Great. Or are you working on a project right now and you need music? It is a big thing. Music and finding great music and finding a great composer as a filmmaker can be very difficult. I just met with one of my composers last week, Mike Barnett, who just did Who's There? Uh, and we sat around and we talked about this all afternoon on how getting that relationship between composers and filmmakers early on is so important when you're putting music together to get original content, get original music. And I know it's very difficult for a lot of people out there because Either they don't know composers, they're not in the right area for composers, and they're trying to still create great content that will get eyes on their work. Well, here's the thing. Stock music usually sucks. We all know this, right? Because when you go get stock music, it always feels like there's a great musician there, but they're just putting in their C or D game because 
why give that away for cheap? And you're listening to stuff that's like, oh my God, if they had just spent a little bit more time on this track, it'd be fucking phenomenal. But I've got this weird loop and it just sucks. That's been most of my life looking for stock music. And then when you're dealing with commercial clients and you're dealing with people that are putting things together in a budget, the last thing they think about is music. Always. How many of you there are shaking your head going, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the way it is. Oh, I got like 400 bucks. I got like 500 bucks for music. You're like, fuck, this is going to suck. Well, that's not necessarily true. And there is a great company out there called Musicbed. Now, the thing I like about Musicbed, I'm, I'm not doing their official read yet. I'm just going to give you some good stuff from me on this. The thing I like about them is that they feel less like a stock website and more like a rep site for great composers. Think about that. You can find these composers with them. And they're really talented artists and they showcase these artists in a, in a really great way. So you don't feel like you're just going there and they're like, look at my giant library of shit and you get to click through it. No, no, no. They're talking about artists and they're showcasing artists. Musicbed.com, okay? So let me do the official read for them. It sucks to get bogged down in the edit process while you try to track down a soundtrack for your film. I've been there, that is true. And so has the team at Musicbed. In fact, that's the entire reason why they've built this platform. They've made it easier for you. They've made it easier than ever for you to find the song that, you've, that you're looking for with intuitive and easy to use browse and search. Amazing indie artists and bands and incredible composers like Ryan Taubert and Chad Larson. Their roster is growing every day with tens of thousands of songs ranging from the cinematic, electronic to indie rock and hip hop. And with either their single song licenses or subscriptions that give you unlimited downloads, there's something for every type of filmmaker. To create your free account and learn more, <clears throat> to create your free account and learn more, goddamn mouth, get, get, get with it. Let's do that one more time. To create your free account and learn more, go to musicbed.com. Plus, as an In Love With The Process listener, they're giving you one month of a subscription for free. That's one month of subscription for free or 20% off a single song license. Just enter the promo code THE PROCESS. All one word, THE PROCESS, when you check out. Okay, I'll have my link in the description below. Click through on it. I'm holding you responsible. Click through. All right, let's see who else is on the show. Ah, the boys, the gentlemen over at Rule Boston Camera. These uh, guys have been with me for about 18 years. They are my preferred rental house on the East Coast. They're a rental house out of Boston. Um, they're the perfect place to get gear if you're anywhere above New York, essentially. Um, and these guys have everything you could ever need. Now, I know a lot of you guys listening are all over the fucking place, actually, because I looked at the stats for the show, and I'm pretty proud of the fact that we have listeners in Europe. We have listeners in Australia. I have listeners in... Germany, I have listeners on Los Angeles, New York, Boston, Chicago actually is pretty big. So a lot of shout out to all you Chicago listeners right now. Fuck yeah. Um, so I know you guys are like, well, Mike, why are you doing a sponsor read for a place in Boston? Well, because a lot of people that listen to the show are from Boston and shout out to all you guys. But I strongly suggest that anybody who's a filmmaker, anybody that's a photographer, make a really strong bond with your local rental house, right? And here's why. With a local rental house, majority of them, I know Rule does it, but a majority of them are there 100% for your support, 
right? So you have a producer that shows up and says, hey, look, I know you bought a Scarlet, right? But no one wants that fucking camera anymore. And I know that you spent about 30000 40000 $50,000 on your camera package, but it's not right for my project. Why? Well, because I like to read the trades and I think I know everything about cameras and shit. So I want the newest and greatest thing. And according to the trades, if I use that camera, then it's going to make a great movie, right? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm rolling my eyes too. And here's the thing. No matter what, they're the, they're the client and you have to deal with that shit. So why buy one of these brand new cameras on the market and be indebted to it when it's literally going to be outdated in a year, right? Go make a relationship with a local rental house because they buy all those cameras. They have all that inventory. They'll go in there and they, you can be taught. Like, we'll, we'll teach you how to use that gear. They'll get your hands on that equipment that is used to shoot the movies you love, to shoot the content that you love, um, and you'll be able to play with it ahead of time. And then know that when you rent it, it is supported. So let's say you show up on set, and if you guys are anybody that works in the business, you know gear, no matter how good it is, no matter how much money you spend on it, goes down. It fails. There's always an issue, right? And if it's your gear, you're scrambling to make it work, and you're coming up with 100 excuses why it's not working. But if it's equipment from a rental company, you literally can get on the phone with them and say, how can I make this work? What am I doing wrong? They'll talk you through it, and you can do this quietly, by the way, and if it doesn't work, buy yourself some time. Tell the producer, hey, I need a couple, I need like 25 minutes to uh, get this shot set up. Okay, great. Then we'll drive it over to you, right? They'll drive over of a replacement and that shit will show up and no one will know the difference. Okay? <laughs> Listen to me telling you how to run your business. <laughs> um, but I would do that. That's something that I would do. Um, and it's great. You're supported by these guys. There's a sense of security involved with it. Um, and it's so easy to do. And there's a lot of young filmmakers out there that are just, I don't know, strangely threatened by rental houses. Rule makes it very easy for you. You can go in there, they'll tell you what you need for uh, insurance. Super easy process to go through. Uh, production insurance isn't that expensive, by the way, especially for gear. We can talk about that in a future episode. But I highly suggest, like I said, form a relationship with your local rental house. And if you're in Boston, if you're anywhere north of New York, check out Rule. Go to rule.com. Uh, I think those are the guys for the show this week. Yeah, those are the reads for the show. But I'm just going to take a minute here uh, because I've got you captive. <clears throat> Do me a favor. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There, it's a brand new website. I put it together myself. I spent three or four days putting this fucking thing together for you guys. Uh, and everybody in the industry is like, no one goes to websites anymore. That's bullshit. Go to this website. Here's why. I have taken the 50 plus episodes and actually split them up into different categories, right? So if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening to this on Spotify, um, it may be a little intimidating if you're a new listener and you're like, what episode do I start with and where do I go? And you're just sort of scrolling through a lot of names that you may or may not recognize. I get it. That's why I did this on the website. You can actually go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and choose your episode based upon uh, the subject material. So like if you want to listen to a director, click directors and I'll list all the episodes with directors. If you want to listen to musicians, musicians. If you want to listen to artists, artists. You get it, right? Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and while you're there, click through on the sponsors. And do me a favor, with Musicbed, check them out. They're also on uh, Instagram. 
Here's the thing. Go on Instagram, visit Music Bed, and tell them we love to hear you on In Love With The Process. I have so many people ask me what they could do for the show. This is the most important thing that you can do. Go visit them. I think they're, I don't have my phone with me, but they're Music Bed on Instagram. I know that. Go there, check them out, click through, and write them a note. And just say, we love to hear you on In Love With The Process. We dig it. Um, and that'll keep them around. And we're going to try to get new sponsors for the show. And the more sponsors I get, the better things I can do. Okay? I'm not pocketing this cash. <laughs> I'm putting this into the show. So help me out. Uh, and while you're on Instagram, you can always check me out at Mike Petchy. You can leave me a note there. I've had a lot of people leaving me notes there. I'm actually selling prints for the holiday season. So go check that out as well. I'll have a bunch of really cool stuff up there for you guys. Uh, you can also go to the podcast Instagram. That's in love with the process pod in love with the process pod on Instagram, and you also find stuff there. Wow, I'm just throwing stuff at you guys. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, also, yeah, you know what? While I catch you, let me just continue to do a little ranting and raving here. I just got an email from Apple Podcasts. This stuff drives me insane. And listen to me, probably ruining any chances that I have with working with these guys as a sponsorship. But th- this is what this is what goes on behind the scenes. Okay, guys. Dear podcast provider, below are some updates to help improve the experience for your listeners on Apple Podcasts. Play Apple Podcasts with Alexa. How many of you have an Alexa? And how many of you can tell me, write to me, and tell me how it's changed your life? Can you tell me? How just being able to sit in the room and go, Alexa, uh, uh, play, play, play Mike's podcast. Changes your life from you actually having to click it on your phone or do something. Or if you're just like, uh, Alexa, uh, get me a girlfriend. Like, what the fuck does this thing do that makes things so interesting? And I think that's why they have to send me emails like this out. So let's see. They say here, hmm. I'll do it. I'll do it for you guys. Apple Podcast is now available on Alexa-enabled Amazon devices. I thought you and Amazon were in, were competitors. Here's the other thing that's fascinating about Apple and Amazon is that these guys are hardware manufacturers. Not even. I guess Amazon kind of is a hardware manufacturer, but they deliver packages. That's what they do. Uh, Apple's a hardware manufacturer, so why would they be promoting Amazon stuff? I don't get it. I don't understand it, but you know what? I'm just the basic little guy. I'm, 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 these guys run the world, so that's what I'm saying. Spread the word on your show, promotional channels, uh, wherever you like to communicate to your audience. Okay, guys. Oh, I love this. For example, encourage them to say things like, Alexa, play In Love With The Process on Apple Podcasts. Or, Alexa, play podcast title. I don't know. Whatever podcast title you want. Uh, from yesterday on Apple Podcasts. Hmm, okay, good idea. Or, here's my favorite one, Alexa, skip ahead 30 seconds, as if my content is so fucking boring that you have to tell a artificial intelligence robot, hey, can you just skip ahead to the good shit? Hmm, you guys make me mad. Alexa, play the previous episode. Learn more about how listeners can now play their, your show, my show, with Alexa. Hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This is an email that I got. It just throws me in a fucking spiral of rage. What are we doing? What am I doing? Am I just selling products? Is that what's going on? Is that what this is? Is that, is that what this is? 
anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> Let's get back into a more uplifting conversation with the amazing Valentine. Our business is completely malleable. Like it's always mm-hmm. changing. It's always fluid. And yeah. I believe that plans are important because then you have a starting point to get going from, but then you have to be open to finding those. Because yes. it's those little magic aha moments that really make things special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? As we say, also magical mistake. You know, mm-hmm. that sometimes, you know, uh, there's something that by mistake or maybe like, you know, a production design, you know, something that really uh it was not planned but maybe it's beautiful you know maybe it works while you're shooting and you know that that's the moment when you say why mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. exactly i love that stuff mm-hmm. i mean because yeah. otherwise it'd be bo- for me as a director it'd be boring like if it was the same mm-hmm. thing that i had planned and we had sat down and did the storyboards and gone and done the scouts and then you just show up and it goes exactly the way you had it in your head it'd just be boring you're just punching by mm-hmm. numbers at that point i agree yeah, it's like basically going to an office and you do a nine-to-five job, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that even that job is challenging. But, I mean, the reason why I'm a cinematographer is because, you know, I can actually, like, you know, be more open-minded as well. You know, I can travel. I like to travel and I see that every culture is different, you know? Mm. Uh, I see that, you know, basically the lighting that you're approaching, example, in Italy is different than the way you're approaching here. Or maybe, you know, the lighting that I shot a movie, Palestinian movie, and I shot it, you know, behind, you know, the wall and uh, the Palestinian territory. And, you know, when I shot the movie there, which was a Sundance Film Festival, uh, 10 years ago, I noticed, obviously, that when I went there, you know, the lighting is different. And, you know, also the culture is different. So hmm. every time you actually, like, you know, counting with these, you know, um, things, uh, basically, you approaching the project differently as well. And this is the beauty of it. You know, and it's so fascinating how light is different at different places on the planet. It's really mm-hmm. interesting how I mean, obviously, moving out here to Los Angeles, light is so different out here with the yes. with the pollution yes. and everything else. But even I've I've spent time in in Italy myself, and I've been up in Lake Como, and I've been in Rome, and mm-hmm. and the light ah, is different. Yeah. It's very different in both places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also like you know the um, the colors, you know the building, you know they they have different colors, you know the bouncing of the light and everything else. In India, example, I shot that too. It's basically full of colors. Hmm. So depending where you're going, and of course you know when you're dealing with that, you try to actually like embrace that and also like you know shoot in a way that basically you know you can see the beauty in that as well. Or you can see the beauty on everything else, you know. And uh, it's uh, it's really interesting to actually have a third eyes and going there, especially when you're foreign, because you notice, you know, what you know, maybe the locals they don't see it. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, mm. it's interesting. I, I'd be curious to see what you, how listen to the leaf blower. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, hold nice. on. Let's see if he walks by the window here. One second, everybody at home listening. Calm down. <laughs> no, <I'm> joking. <laughs> so I, I'd be interested to see 
what you saw certain aspects of America like and how you mm-hmm. how you've romanticized that stuff being from Italy and because I know when I go to Italy how I see Italy, which mm-hmm. is like romantically different than mm-hmm. how I see the U.S. I think uh, yeah I think America is actually USA is a different layers and I like that because in each like you know uh, state I can see something really different from uh, example like the bus station they are different. And, you know, I can actually, like, you know, notice uh, besides the lighting and everything else, also the architecture. Hmm. It's very interesting because on this, you know, on this, on, on this post, you started to see a much more, like, severe architecture. And uh, obviously, you know, Boston, for example, it's uh, what I, my understanding was, like, you know, the first town that was actually built. And, you know, I can see that it's more, like, you know, classical, mm-hmm. more, like, in a way that the building are very, you know, kind of like, you know, more, you know, structure. And uh, when I go and uh, maybe the West Coast, I see that it's much more loose in architecture. It's more art deco. It's more like, you know, it stays in the 60, you know, that's my, uh, you know, like uh, vision to it and much more color as well. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's nice to see the diversity in each states. And you can totally tell, you know, even like, you know, if you go to the suburbs, you started to see that, you know, it's isolated and then uh, it's basically like, you know, the architecture, it's like almost a red desert, you know, yeah, like the movie. And uh, it's very interesting because, you know, even with the framing, you can start to actually like, you know, see the depth and see how, you know, this place they were built and how now they are, you know. And some of the places in America, like in the United States, I don't see the evolution. But it's still interesting, yeah. even though there is no evolution for that, you know? Well, yeah, and the, the same thing could be said as I go to Europe and I look at a structure that has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, you know? Exactly. I mean? and, and it's just yeah. like, oh my God, you know? Like, mm-hmm. And I love the fact that all these things influence us. And it isn't just, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, the lighting, it's also the air and how it smells and the, pro- the props yes. and all that stuff. I think it's important to understand the time and space because this is what movies about as well, projects. is uh, you know, like time and mm-hmm. space and then really, really like, you know, uh, see what's like the dimension for that and how you can, you know, evolve and how you can actually like, you know, see uh, through it. I think, you know, as a cinematographer, you have to actually... Not only understand, you know, what the movie is about and what's the storytelling, and uh, that's important too, but also to understand in your point of view how you could actually relate it to the time and space and to the story, mm. you know. So that's, that's important because I think it's a, like a, really a timeline where you can feel all these elements that make the story as well. You know, example, you know, there are filmmakers that they only shoot with one lens. And this is actually Fellini. You know, Fellini used to use a lot of, like, the 23 lens. And, um, you know, it's important to really understand what you can do with uh, what you see and also, like, you know, really gather all together in time and space. Fascinating. You know, that's very important. Yeah, that's very important. Because also, like, you know, there is uh, a lot of, you know, cinematographer where they attribute, you know, the color to an emotion, each color to an emotion, like Storaro does. But, you know, it's beyond that. It's very conceptual. Uh, I think also we have to do it in a way where, you know, people, they can understand Mm. as well. 
you know, they can understand that just like, you know, with a look or they can understand that with uh, maybe just like, you know, silence. Silence is important in movies or maybe in any project, you know. So that's why I think, you know, it's important even for me to understand the director better so that, you know, we don't need to talk too much maybe on set. Maybe they don't want to be with me. Maybe they want to be with, uh, with the actors more than anything else. And maybe just a gesture, maybe just like, you know, a glance can mm-hmm. see a lot. <laughs> and, and I know what, uh, yeah, and I know what I can do. You know, as a foreign person, you know, obviously English is not my first uh, yep. language. And, uh, and I developed a, in a way I'm, I'm also, I, I feel myself, you know, lucky because in a way I can understand people without really understanding the language, the verbal language, yep. I mean. So being a cinematographer is that, you know. I could, you know, I went to, as I put, to the Palestinian territory and, you know, I didn't speak Arabic. Uh, of course, I, you know, as being from the south of Italy, obviously it's very close as a culture. Uh, so I started to actually develop a lot of like, you know, language, not only verbally, but mostly, mostly, you know, by gesture, mm. you know, by actually something else and visual. I mean, my key grip did not speak English, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, so we had to actually find a way to communicate. You know, we had to find actually a way. I, I shot in China and nobody spoke English. So, you know, I had to find a way to communicate with the crew, to communicate with the director as well. And there was, and I didn't want to have a translator because I think, you know, it was very more, much more visual to actually make it like kind of a visual language. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Right. I love it, man. I like my, I shot a whole movie in a language that I don't speak. And I, I did that intentionally. I, I think, I think as a, as as animals, <laughs> I think I think humans respond to to visual cues first. And I think I think we try not to acknowledge that. And I think we're living in a time period where it's not it's not PC to acknowledge the fact that we respond to things visually first. But that's what we do. And it's I think at its core, sometimes it's a safety feature where you're just like, do I feel safe here? And who is this person that I'm communicating with? But then you can, if you can train yourself to do so, you can see positions of power. You can see, you can see volleying of power and, and who's interested and who's not interested in things. And that's our job is to, is to capture those things and to make. Yeah. I think you have to be really an observer. You have to really see through things, through people. And also you have to really like, you know, understand what they think in that moment, or maybe you don't want to understand it. You know, maybe you're making something, example, we were talking about motivation that everything is to have motivation, but honestly, sometimes you break the rules, you have rules, you can break it. If you know, intelligently, and you can break it, you know, in a good way. And sometimes, you know, you make an image that there is no such a meaning, but it works for the story. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to also like, you know, be trained about that. Example, what I say to other people, if you see in a room a window, it doesn't mean that you have to put a light behind the window because, you know, there is only like one source of lighting. Mm. You know, maybe it could be like, you know, that the lighting is coming from something else. Yeah. Maybe that day it's overcasting day. Maybe there's no lighting coming through the window. Maybe you black out the window. Maybe you have a, your own other, like, you know, uh, lighting motivation for that, you know. <laughs> and maybe because it works for the story, mm-hmm. you know, and there is no motivation at all. You know, like, example, I always reference, you know, uh, David Lynch. 
David Lynch, like, you know, in his early uh, work, mm-hmm. a lot of times there, w- there was no motivation for how he was basically doing his, his movie, you know? Like, you know, if I remember, like, you know, correctly, even like, you know, um, Lost Highway, sometimes you would actually see something that would not make sense, but for the story it was making sense. Yeah. You know, there was no motivation exactly why he did it, but for the story it was making totally sense. And that's what, you know, I think also filmmakers should be looking at that as well, because sometimes it's not really about analyzing things or analyzing people, but sometimes like, you know, it's about making a project, making something that uh, it's, you know, it's basically what you feel like and without too much, you know, uh, thought in it, you know? Yeah. And it's, I, I think it's really important to think that way when you're building tone, in movies, and I think that's one of the things that's really difficult to do lately. I would say is build yes. up, is is have like a, a solid voice and have like a really interesting tone that runs mm-hmm. through films that isn't uh, completely influenced by the fact that they want to make billions of dollars. You know. Yes. Yeah, um, that's important. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can be commercial, but you can still have like you know your own style. That's what I was trying to say as well. Like, you know, yeah. you can really like, you know, be and doing like big budget movie and be a commercial DP, a commercial director. But, you know, like you still have your own style. Example, Michael Bay, mm-hmm. I think, you know, he has his own style. And mm-hmm. that's beautiful because, you know, he does action film. He does beautiful films, you know, for that, you know, uh, gender. But it's also like, you know, when you see the movie, you say, OK, this is Michael Bay. You know, and that's what you want to achieve. So that's that's more that's very commercial director with a very commercial, you know, like, you know, uh, way of shooting movies. But there is a sense of beauty in that, too. You know, I love I'll be honest. I love the way he. I mean, I don't like the way he edits his movies, but I love the way he shoots his movies. I think he's 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 an amazing he's an amazing uh, photographer. I mean, yeah, Brian De Palma. I mean, honestly, that's another one that, you know, he really was uh, he had this this, uh, distinct look for the movie. You know, and I think, you know, was actually maybe now I don't know if he's doing something else, but. I admire these people because I really admire this kind of director where they took chances mm-hmm. and they became actually like, you know, big blockbuster director and big, you know, like, you know, commercial director, but they still kept, you know, that kind of integrity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what you, that's why I want to sit down and watch a De Palma movie. That's why I want to sit down and watch like a David Fincher movie. It's because I want to go to his world. I want to go exactly. into that space and be like, Oh, cool. What, what story are you going to tell me here? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I have to be also honest, being a European, I love European movies. And, you know, I love the simplicity of it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I have to say, like, you know, that's why for me, my ideal, you know, uh, dream of being a DP is to actually shoot uh, independent films mm-hmm. and then shooting eventually also like, you know, big, you know, Hollywood films as well because uh, of project, because I would like to do both all the time, because I think it's, there's a kind of nostalgia when you're shooting a really independent, you know, uh, film where there's more simplicity in it. There's mm-hmm. more character driven. And I like that, you know, um, I like, you know, certain things like, you know, the camera stays in one position and, you know, let the actor play in frames without moving. Mm-hmm. You know, there is certain like, you know, poetic uh, approach to that. And you can still tell a great story, 
you know. So I think it's uh, what I what I am aiming, what is my you know ultimate you know dream and what I want to achieve. Basically, it's really to shoot both, you know, shoot like you know independent you know movies and all independent you know projects. In this case, also TV uh, series and stuff like that, and also like you know Hollywood or maybe big studio films. You know, being back and forth because I think. Uh, uh, you know, I think it can help also to be always challenged. And I think it can help my vision as well, you know, to be always fresh. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a good, it's a, it's a good plan. And then they both inform each other. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that you learn on the small things are the tricks that you pull out of your bag when you're on the big things. And then, exactly. you know, you try to take some of those techniques and, and maybe it's behind the camera stuff that you've figured out, like a certain way to rig things or a certain way to make things easier for you so that when you go back to the independent world and you're budgeting things out, you can, in theory, say to the producer, like, get me this and this and this will save us this much time. Yeah, but also exploring, you know, because of course, like in... Uh, in the two ways of doing things, you can also, like, you know, explore as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can, you know, get there while you're experimenting, you know. Yeah. Obviously, on a big budget, you know, Hollywood film, there is no much lead way to experiment. But in independent film, you have more, like, this kind of control over it, you know. Uh, and also, like, you know, now with the advent of, like, TV series, which they look beautiful, and they really look like, you know, the big Hollywood films. They all look really great. Mm-hmm. I think you have to think about that, too, and see, you know, how I can actually achieve that look, make, you know, the producer happy and make the director happy, work with them and do it fast as well, you know? Yeah, right. Because Which then is it important. is... Yep, it's a time game at that point. And then if you're smart, and it, obviously it sounds like you are, Thank but you. if you're a very smart DP, then you're you're taking into consideration that it isn't just your world and it isn't just about your real. No. And it's it's about fitting into this huge machine and you're a piece of that puzzle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, you know, that also counts with commercial and music video. Now I see the music video are coming back. Yeah. And honestly, I'm very happy about that because I love shooting music video. And I know that a lot of DP, they complained about it but back then because, you know, it was for them was like uh, uh, not a good experience. But for me, I really like it. Mm. I like the fact that you're free and you have like, you know, less uh, worry about it, the narrative, but you're more visual about it. And I like to work with, uh, you know, talent as well. And so it's beautiful, you know, to have this kind of approach. On the other side, commercial, they're more about the client. So we need to be honest, you know, it's more, it's more about me and the director to give to the, what the client wants. Exactly. And, um, and that's also beautiful in the sense that, you know, you can actually explore a lot in that way too, because maybe the client has some ideas and, you know, you compare your idea, the director idea and the client's idea, and maybe you come to the best, you know, that you can do it to the sense of the marketing for a special product, you know, and, uh, you know, for the commercial. So I think it's important to think about that, too. Yes, I agree completely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so it's obvious that you're a great storyteller and that's it's obvious that you love to tell stories. So. What made you decide that taking pictures, like actually doing moving pictures, was the way that you wanted to tell stories? Like, at what point did you decide that? I did not decide it. I just watched a movie. It's called The Conformist, Conformista, which is an Italian movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and each frame for me was a painting. 
And I say to my dad, at that time I was like eight years old or nine years old, I don't remember. And uh, I said to my dad, I want to do what this person is doing. And, uh, and my dad was trying to understand exactly what. And I say, I explain it, you know, like this color image framing. And he says, okay, so you want to be a cinematographer? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, because, you know, my dad is like a movie buff. He was like a very, like, you know, nerd on uh, every movie. And he wanted to be a director, but he was a fashion design. But, you know, basically he studied all the retrospective about directing and uh, he knew all about movies. So he showed me Odyssey 2001 when I was 10, and uh, I say, yeah, that's what I want to do. And, uh, you know, he says, why don't you actually think about doing maybe directing? Because as a female cinematographer, I don't see so many, mm-hmm. so it would be really difficult, and especially <laughs> in that time. So maybe you want to think about, maybe if you really want to be in a movie, maybe directing or maybe producing. And I was like, no, I, I really wanted to be a DP, so. Mm-hmm. Smart. Smart. Yeah. 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 You know, and then and today, like it's a perfect time to to be a female cinematographer. Today, yeah, but when I came out, it was uh, it was uh, you know, it was a challenge. Of, of course, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a big challenge. You know, now you know I'm meeting the world. Uh, it's uh, it's great because we did uh, we opened the door to many women, mm-hmm. and I like that because you know, so that we that de- we don't have to actually go through what we went through, and I like that. And uh, I, I, I hope and I really feel that it's going to stay. And I want it to stay. So I support women a lot. And, uh, but I have to be honest, I don't hire uh, just for, uh, you know, for like, you know, women and men because they are women and men. Smart. I hire because, yeah, I hire because of their skills. Mm-hmm. I give chances to women to compete now. So that means, you know, if I know women in my field, I can actually, you know, just give the resume to the producer and say, take a look at it and give it a chance. You know, now I actually put them in line to actually to compete with also with the men as well. Before there was no chance, you know, so it was very like, you know, narrow. And now at least I want to give that kind of chance and, you know, decide it regardless who we are, you know, but just decide on the skill. You know, and say, okay, now I have also this option and I have this option. So who do I think is the best gaffer for me? Or who do I think is the best key grip? Regardless, I don't care about, you know, uh, if you're a woman or a man, you know, but I care about and now I give the opportunity to women to basically like, you know, be there to actually compete you know, yep. and that's important. Yeah, it's completely important. And I think it's, I think it's wonderful. And, and being uh, like, I was the oldest in my family and my family was uh, two boys and two girls. And so whenever I'm casting or, or finding crew for me, it doesn't make a difference if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't make no, a difference. Any exactly. It's, just, it's who do I want in my family while I go through this project? Exactly. And I want a diversity too. You know, I want that, you know, set, uh, I want to see a set that is diverse. Sure. You know, that it's uh, like multicolor. It's, uh, you know, I wanted to see that, you know, there is 50 50 for like, you know, female, men. And I wanted to see, you know, a lot of like culture, mm-hmm. you know, like that actually embrace. Maybe because, you know, I'm foreign and I like to be, uh, you know, like uh, really surrounded by people that they know, uh, they skilled, and people that they have different background, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Why not? It's, uh, it's amazing. I think we should be actually really, like, you know, be able to work all together. 
and uh, and you know we're making a piece of art, which is great. Yeah, and my my one thing that I always say is that you just got to be a good person. <laughs> yes. At the end of the day, yeah, you just respectful. Get a respectful, decent person that likes to that is there that understands how lucky that they are and that we are to be yeah. doing it. Like that's important too. Yeah. Um, and then just go through the process together. And mm-hmm. I, I, at that point, that should be all that it is. And, and yeah, and I, th- I think so. I think we're finally getting there and hopefully it stays there and becomes more of that. But mm-hmm. I, I, I just want it to be equal all the way across the board with everybody. And so then mm-hmm. we just line up and it's like, you're really talented. You're a great light. You're a great gaffer. I enjoy spending 15 hours a day with you. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So then let's, <laughs> yeah. let's be, let's, mm-hmm. let's do this. Yeah. This is why it's funny that, you know, when they see me to pull it out, you know, the knife, <laughs> they actually like, you know, they get scared. Now the reason why I mentioned that I say knife, because I use knife to reflect on the eyes of the actor. <laughs> so to have the light. Yeah. I literally use like, you know, kitchen knife. So when I say to, you know, when I say to my gaffer that maybe they didn't work with me before, I say, you know, go to the kitchen. I mean, I have my set, but in case we, you know, like I don't have it or something like that. I say, go to the kitchen and find and find me a knife. You know, and they look at me like, wow, you want to kill me already? You know, what did I do? And I'm like, no, I just need to actually reflect the light. You know, that's, uh, yeah, that's a thing that, you know, I do often as well. That's hysterical. So yeah. you use a, like a kitchen. I would, I could only imagine working with you for the first time. And then suddenly you're walking on set with a huge knife and you go, what is going yeah, on? What the hell is going on? You know, I know, I mean, obviously my set, you know, what I do, I actually like, you know, I, I put a thing to not to be safe. So they're not sharp. Uh-huh. So what I do, I run them. I make it like, you know, kind of round. But, you know, I like the cut of a knife. So what I do, I reflect the light. I use a, maybe a small units. And I do actually for a highlight. And uh, I just reflect, uh, you know, the lights uh, to the knife. And then it goes right to, you know, the eyes of the actor if it doesn't bother them. So I try to find an angle that doesn't bother them. So, and then fast forward, like, Five years from now, and then there'll be some company that you've that you've started, and they're yeah. and we're selling uh, knives, movie knives for the set. Yeah, why not? Right? <laughs> that would be actually a business. Maybe that's a way to make money, other than be you know something else. And then you could you yeah. could charge like five hundred dollars for the knife. Yeah, yeah. Why not? You know, like this is like actually a knife with my signature. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, they store out gel, so you know why not the knife? So, you know. This has been good. We're at about an hour. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to look here at my notes real quick to make sure that I'm not missing anything. But Anything? Um, and I think we got a lot of really great stuff. Right about now is when I usually ask my guests to give a bit of knowledge, a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of an insider look uh, to a younger filmmaker, younger cinematographer in this, in mm-hmm. this position. So if um, if you had to give a bit of your, your knowledge to someone that was younger. And I'd say, let's think, um, you know what it is dealing, dealing with, uh, getting over your own vision and making your vision blend with the director's vision. Like how, how, at what point or what sort of knowledge would you give a young cinematographer on, on how to get over themselves? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In order for the movie. Yeah, I think an advice that I can give to them is uh, to listen. That's very important. And then another one, which about knowledge, I think uh, 
to actually like, you know, try to be open-minded and really like, you know, go work with the director, you know, like go on a journey with the director, but not only, not physical journey, like, you know, mental journey, really try to actually like, you know, do what you like, but, you know, like really uh, stay with the director and listen to them and uh, work with them because that's important because eventually, you know, the director hires you and uh, it's important that they, they really wanted to be on the same page as you are and they wanted to actually be united. You know, they want to have you really like protecting them and in a way like, you know, they just want you to have their back. So you got to be there for them. You know, it's important. It's like a basically, it's a family. So try to be one of the members that supports, you know, your director, which is important. That's really good advice. Yeah. That's really good advice. It, and, you know, now that we're talking about this, I, I have like one more question. So mm-hmm. uh, you're pretty busy these days. So you're shooting, you're shooting a lot, right? Yes. And, and so that for, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize what a transient position being a cinematographer is because you're either constantly on the road, you're on location, you're moving mm-hmm. all about. Um, does it, does it really affect your personal life? Like how, how does the job affect who you are personally and, and all that sort of stuff? I have to be honest, like in the beginning, I thought it was like, you know, affecting my personal life. You know, uh, I thought this is why I didn't have like in you know, a relationship or something like that. But now not anymore, because uh, I think if you good in balancing your time and you actually know how to manage that, you can actually uh, make your personal life, you know, much more easier in a way. And also you need to understand that you need to actually have a relationship with the, the, the someone that really understand what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to be like someone in the, in the business. I mean, it could be like, you know, someone that does a, another job, but I think it's important that that person supports you and that you support them eventually. But it's also like, you know, really important that you become kind of like, you know, more uh, understanding on what, you know, they thinking about what you do, you know, because if they know uh, eventually they got to understand that you can go, to actually shoot a movie, to shoot a project, maybe in certain hours, but you don't know when you come back. So that's actually important that, you know, when you travel also, they know that you might probably not coming back in the same day that you told mm. them. Maybe there's an extra week of shooting. So there's all like, you know, this kind of a, a timing that you should be able to actually manage better. And now, to be honest, I take my time in between projects and I try to actually like, you know, really find myself. Because this is what, it's, it's all about that. It's, uh, if you find yourself, you can be actually good with other people. And uh, when you have a relationship, I think it's important to actually understand that it's not only about you, but it's also about the other person. And if you can, you know, uh, balance that out, you win in a way. So um, I, I think it's also difficult, you know, like I know many DP now that they have children. I don't. But uh, I think it's now, it's possible that... Uh, you know, they can have, you know, children and they can manage their life as well, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. And when you say balance, this is really, really interesting stuff to me. So when mm-hmm. you say, when you say find balance, what, it, can you share, like, what are your steps for finding balance on, a, on like a weekly basis or a daily basis? I think you should actually manage your time in a way that you can probably give it 
also to the person, to relationship or to like your children or to your private life. Like maybe you should find in a day, maybe a couple of hours where it's only dedicated to you. If you, like in my case, if you're single or if you actually have, you know, maybe like a relationship, you know, mm. maybe having like, you know, really like, you know, sometime more than, you know, uh, time in terms of like, you know, uh, two or three hours, also like quality times, you know, like really uh, trying to spend quality times with uh, maybe the other person or maybe to with your children and also to understand that, you know, your job is important and, uh, you know, it's important to be a cinematographer, but there is also other things out there as well that can help you to be better cinematographer. You know, mm. example, like, you know, I raised, you know, a child of a friend of mine and, you know, like uh, what I see through, you know, he's, a, he's like five. And uh, what I see through his eyes helped me a lot in my work. You know, mm. sometimes I, I literally sometimes I propose a, on a shot list to director some shots that, you know, I heard, you know, from, you know, from like, you know, the, the child of my friend. And, you know, basically like, you know, was something more visual, you know. So we, you, we have to be. Like really, I think, you know, understanding that you can, you know, really spend some quality times opposed to just time, you know, mm, and that's how that's you smart. balance as well. And, you know, again, I read a lot. So for me, that's like a way to also like, you know, really uh, find my balance as well and see, you know, how I can actually like, you know, expand it in a more quality time. So. That's really, that's really, it's really nice. It's really nice to hear actually. And you got to honestly, you, you got to see also your friends. I mean, it's important to actually like, you know, step back a little bit and have your, your private life, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm sure that each of us, they don't have all friends that they work in film, you know, mm-hmm. then you must have like a friend that is a lawyer or must, or maybe that does something else. So this is what, what is the beauty also that you can really like have friends that they're not, or friends or maybe in the case, like, you know, my fiancé or maybe husband or wife, that they don't have you the same interest that you have. Mm. And that you have to always get the best out of the situation that you find, you know? Mm. I think uh, that's why on, on set also, like, what I do, I always find the best out of the worst. You know, if everybody thinks it's a disaster in that moment, I always find that, like, the right thing, that it's the best thing, out of the, you know, disaster. Mm. You know what I mean? And I take it and I make it, you know, my own and I think I can make something out of that, you know? That's what we have to actually do it on a private life as well. It's been really great talking with you. I've, I've, Likewise. I've really enjoyed this episode and I really appreciate you being on it. Likewise. And I love your English. It's very, like, clean. <laughs> <laughs> like you know i can tell i don't know like uh it's really clean you know there's no heavy accent or something like that you I, know i have an accent so i noticed that well you know yeah. if i if, if i get mad then my boston accent comes out ah, okay that's how okay. it works yeah. that's how it works So I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Valentina. Um, like I said at the beginning of the episode, she's really cool, man. She's very fascinating, and uh, I like the way she approaches uh, being a cinematographer. Uh, and she had some really good advice there at the end on how to deal with your personal life. And that's something that we try to talk about on the show, but oftentimes 
it gets put on the back burner because, you know, it's so much cooler to talk about the new lights and the new camera and the new gear. Um, but she is right. You have to find a way to balance yourself. You have to find a way to find your center and sort of fight down that anxiety that all of us have on our career and are we doing the right thing and are we did we say yes do we say no to that job like that's 99% of what's going through my brain all the time and that's most of the reason why I hate thinking about the business <laughs> uh, because there's there's something about working and then there's something about not working and there's something about the anxiety in between and there was quite some time in my career where when I wasn't working, I'd be beating my head against the wall and hounding people and trying to get work. And, and I'd wake up every day with that anxiety. And it, it, the longer you've been doing this, the longer you, that I've been in this business, I know that eventually someone's going to call. And as long as you're doing your work and as long as you're inspiring yourself and you're finding a way to balance yourself out, which Valentina said so well on the show, um, then you'll be happy. You'll feel better about yourself and, and then you'll make better decisions on what jobs you're going to take and what jobs you don't take. It's smart. It's very smart. Um, but hey, like, uh, let me take a sip of water here. Hold on. Mm. Well, I got your ear. Let's talk about some stuff, some stuff that I didn't talk about at the beginning of the episode. And I'm going to talk about it now. And it, this episode, it might be a little dated by the time this one comes out, but I just saw uh, Joker last night. And my God, it was fantastic. I don't know how many of you have seen it. I hope you have. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it in the theater. Please go see it in the theater. Um, a, it's great to support great content by going to the theater and, and slowly trying to coerce the execs into understanding that we do give a shit about seeing movies in the theater and good movies in the theater. And it doesn't have to just be superhero tights and, you know, fluff. Um, it can also be really heavy well done character pieces and that's what the joker is it's a fantastic movie um and very i'm not going to spoil anything for you guys but i was just so impressed with the style i was so impressed with the tone the tone of the movie is so fantastic and joaquin kills it of course he just kills it as the joker um but the movie is so textured and it has so much so many important things to say uh, and topics that a lot of people aren't saying right now. And sure, you know, the clickbait material is violence and gun violence and everything else that's been going on uh, in the United States. Um, but I think it goes deeper than that. And it goes into class, classism and the difference in wealth and the disparity in wealth. Um, and that's a big thing. And that's, you know, we like to divide ourselves up or, or they like to, they, whoever they is. This is a John Carpenter movie. Um, but th they like to have us fighting over very small, smaller arguments. And I, I think that's the wrong way to say that. They like to have us arguing with ourselves instead of actually looking at the truth of it. And the truth is that we all are struggling right now. And that it's a it's a really tough time economically for this country and for the, the middle class is disappearing and we're all ending up as lower class folks and then are desperately trying to make rent, desperately trying to stay alive. Um, and this is rampant right now. And they do such a really great job 
talking about that in this movie. I was very happy it was there. Um, for anything, I mean, I don't believe in getting political on the show, and I try not to. But for anything, just to think about it. And I come from a generation uh, where we were always cynical. You know, the Generation Xers and four. Where we were always cynical about the government, and what is the government doing, and what are these big businesses doing. And that cynicism may have been, you know, maybe I'll admit it, may have been a little heavy-handed at times. Um, but it just shocks me that that cynicism seems to have disappeared a little bit. Um, and it's nice to see people bringing up these conversations again. And it's nice to understand that, like, hmm, maybe there is a reason in the background why we're all at each other's throats. Um, so it was, it was great. Uh, that was uh, a great movie to watch. It's really fun. Uh, and God damn it, it's shot perfectly. So definitely highly suggested go check out the joker in theaters um and as i always say i really appreciate all the support you guys give me on the show um we are deep into the second season as well we'll call it of the podcast bigger and better people on the show uh deeper conversations um but if you want to support us there's a bunch of ways to do that but the easiest way to show the people that sponsor this show that you guys are out there listening is that if you're following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or at In Love With The Process BOD, repost our stuff. Repost the graphics. If you really like this episode, repost the graphic for the episode and send people to it. Please. The more people that listen to the show, the better the show is going to be. And I'm trying to get to the point where I can start videotaping the show. Um, and then putting it on YouTube so that way you guys can watch these conversations as they happen. The only way that's going to happen is with your help. And you have to talk about this show. You have to post about it. If you really like this episode, put a story up about it. I'm going to hold you guys to it. And those of you who are posting, you'll get something from me. So continuously do so. And I, and I will reward you for your support. I promise. So that being said... <clears throat> Love you guys. I'm not going to ramble. Thanks for listening to this episode. More great ones on the way. Mm -hmm.